Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. Welcome back, everybody. This is Amanda Mitchell for your part two of Descriptive Statistics and Normal Distribution. Our guest today, Lisa Mayo, is back to share with us her expertise on biostatistics. Mrs. Lisa Mayo graduated from Baylor College of Dentistry in Dallas, Texas, with her bachelor's degree in dental hygiene, and then from Ohio University with a master's degree in healthcare administration. She is on faculty at her alma mater, Texas A&M University College of Dentistry here in Dallas, Texas, in the dental hygiene department. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hey, Amanda. What's up, student RDH? So nice to have you back on RDH Bites. What are we talking about today? So we're going to continue our discussion on biostatistics, and I'm still living in the subject of descriptive statistics, but I'm moving on from measures of central tendency into standard scores and normal distributions. Great. So in part one, we did cover measures of central tendency. If y'all have not listened to that podcast yet, I suggest you go check that one out before you listen to this one. This will make a lot more sense if you've got measures of central tendency down. So, Lisa, tell us how does knowledge of descriptive statistics and standard scores, normal distributions, why is this important to us as dental professionals? Well, standard scores and normal distributions are really heavily used in healthcare research. So when researchers are performing their um, studies, they're collecting a lot of different types of data, and they're needing to analyze that data and group it together so that you can get meaningful comparisons between your results and your data. And if you can standardize your findings and figure out what the normal distributions of your findings are, now as a healthcare provider and as a healthcare researcher, you can determine what is a quote-unquote normal response to a treatment or a therapy therapy versus an abnormal response or a response that we don't want. And unless you know the standard deviation, then the data that you're collecting doesn't have a lot of meaning by itself because you don't have anything to really compare it to. Let me give you an example to help everybody just understand the importance of this. So let's say All of you listening on here, students, you graduate from dental hygiene school and you happen to move to Dallas, Texas, which is by me. And me. You go interview. And and Amanda. (laughs) You go for an interview and you're offered a job and the office manager tells you that the average salary of a dental hygienist in Dallas, Texas, in particular your area, is $70,000 per year. And that's just what they're going to offer you. And I know a lot of you are thinking, great, wow, that's awesome. I'm happy to take that job. Um, That is until you do a little research and you find out that the standard deviation of salaries in the state of Texas is $80,000, not the average, the standard deviation. That's an awful lot of variation in terms of how much money you were offered. Now, knowing the standard deviation and where that comes from can actually help you decide whether that's a good offer or whether you're being low-balled. And unless you know the standard deviation, you really can't compare anything as of yet. So let me kind of put this in terms of standard deviation. So let's say in Dallas, 
we have gathered data. We're researchers, and we, we, gathered, we gathered data of how much dental hygienists are making in this city. And let's say we get uh, data gathered for three different people, and we found out that three different hygienists make, one makes 60000 per year, one makes seventy, and one makes eighty. So when you average those three salaries together, your mean is going to be 70000 and, and you'll realize that the, the three hygienists are making somewhat the same amount of money, give or take ten to 20000 You know, 60 is the lowest, 80 is the highest. So in terms of standard deviation, that's actually a very small standard deviation because there's not mm. a big range between 60000 and 80000 So if I was offered 70000 you know, with that statistic, it probably is pretty reasonable. But when we, let's say we also decided to look at the salary for hygienists throughout the state of Texas or maybe in a larger surrounding area right outside that immediate Dallas area. And what we found from three different hygienists is one was making 52000 a year, another one was making fifty five, and a third was making over six figures at 110000 now, when you take those three numbers and you average them together, your mean is 70000 just like it was for the Dallas group. The Texas group, the average is still seventy, but the standard deviation means something different to you now because you got somebody pulling in six figures and you got somebody down as low into the 50,000s. So that means we have a really large standard deviation. There's a big difference between making 110 a year and making 52000 a year. So again... That seventy thousand they're offering you, does it mean something different to you now? You know, that's something to think of. You know, if I'm offered seventy thousand, but there's a hygienist in my area making a hundred and ten, I don't know, Amanda. I'm a pretty good hygienist, so I'm gonna be kind of mad at that seventy thousand dollars when somebody's pulling in six figures. Whereas the other data point. I would have been thinking that 70000 was reasonable because the standard deviation was smaller in the Dallas area than it was overall in the whole Texas area. So I think you bring up such a great point here, Lisa, for graduates especially. Don't go based off of the average. We need to look at the different salaries in the area and in the state because especially in a large, you know, populous like Dallas, we have to think. In the heart of Dallas, people may make more money than in the suburbs of Dallas or vice versa, you know, and averaging those numbers doesn't necessarily give us the most accurate information, just like when we look at research studies for our practices. So can you help us break this down a little bit? You know, standard scores, normal distributions, what do these mean? So standard scores and normal distributions, they allow researchers to make comparisons of data. Right? Just like we did with that salary. We could make comparisons of data and it allows us to interpret it slightly differently. Um, and it, it helps us find what is a standard finding versus data that falls into these extremes. I mean, if the average salary in Texas was 70,000, but somebody's pulling in 110 and somebody's pulling in 52, mm -hmm. those are extreme data points. They're so far away from the 70,000 that kind of neither one of them make a whole lot of sense. And so I can actually put this into uh, a more useful everyday example for you as well. I mean, every day when we practice clinical dental hygiene, students in school are practicing dental hygienists. One of the most common procedures that we perform is a periodontal probing. And we can say that that periodontal probing provides us with a huge set 
of data numbers. I mean, there's six numbers per tooth in the mouth, right? Hundreds of numbers. But what do those numbers really mean? The numbers by themselves mean nothing unless you actually know what is considered normal. Somewhere along the way, somebody decided a one to three millimeter probe depth was quote unquote normal. And that sixes and sevens were quote unquote abnormal. And they did it through the different research that was performed, finding normal distributions, finding standard deviations. And that allows us as hygienists to be able to turn to our patient and figure how outside the norm of one to three millimeters are their readings. Awesome. I think that's such a great example for us to use because students, you know, licensed RDHs, we can all relate to probing. So for standard deviation, tell us a little bit more about the importance in research as compared to in practice. Yeah, no, with standard deviation is definitely something I look for. It's one of the first things I look for when I'm pulling a research article, I'm pulling a clinical trial, I'm pulling a systematic review. One of the first things I look for is what is the standard deviation? What is the distribution of these people's results? Are they around the same range? Or have they found such extreme data points that their experiment had vastly different results on patient A versus patient B? So your standard deviation represents the distance a score is from the average, from the mean. Remember the $70,000 that this office is offering you. They're telling you that is the mean. That is the average that RDHs make in the area that you're interviewing in. And it reflects, standard deviation also reflects the spread and dispersion of the frequency of that data. So just as there was an RDH in Texas making over six figures, there was also two of them that were making in the 50,000s. So in the Dallas example I gave you guys, remember their salaries were a lot closer together. The lowest was 60, the highest was 80. So they don't have that high, high, high and low, low, low figure like the Texas dental hygienists had when we analyzed Mm -hmm. them. So when you're analyzing standard deviation, there's actually another statistical figure that comes into the conversation that you'll see published in different types of um, articles and clinical trials and systematic reviews that you're pulling. And they will call it a Z-score, Z like zebra, Z-score. A Z-score represents how many standard deviations a data point is above or below the mean. And so the larger Z-score that you get, whether that's positive or it's negative, it means the more deviant that score is from the mean. That is the Texas RDH salary. We had a $110,000 hygienist and we had a $52,000. Those are extreme scores that were very outside the $70,000 mean. So in terms of research, to kind of get back to your question, Amanda, the more deviant a score is in the research world, the more deviant a score is, the more likely those results obtained could be due to chance. So what you're going to find in research articles that you pull, you want to see standard deviations somewhere around the zero to one range, because that means your results are more likely due to your experimental intervention than they were haphazard chance. Okay. So zero to one is really important when we consider standard deviation in research. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes, ma'am. Perfect. Okay, so how can we apply this information we just discussed in our practice? So let's use a, a healthcare research example. So let's say, and this pertains to hygienists, it'll probably be of interest to you. Let's say we want to conduct an experiment in a research, and we want to see if the adjunctive use of a dental laser, when you're performing a deep cleaning, a scaling, a root planing, non-surgical periodontal debridement or therapy, I mean, whatever you call it. Let's say we want to analyze whether or not combining a dental laser with that procedure, that scaling and root planning procedure, is going to give us a better clinical outcome than not using the laser with our scaling and root planing. And then we're going to use clinical attachment level as our outcome measure. And we want to determine which group of patients did we have a better outcome? Which group of patient had better gains of clinical attachment? Was it the ones where we did the scaling and root planning and the laser or the ones where we did the scaling and root planning all by itself? So let's say we conduct that and we find that when we do scaling and root planning alone, no laser, we found three different patients that had gains of clinical attachment. Patient one gained a millimeter, patient two got two, patient three got three millimeters gain in clinical attachment. So that means the average, the mean, if you will, of those three patients is those three patients gained on average two millimeters of clinical attachment level. Now let's say we go and we analyze our scaling and root planing plus our laser group. Again, three patients, and we found that one of those patients had no gains of clinical attachment, the second one only had a millimeter, and the third one had five. Can you see that those results are more deviant, if you will? One had nothing, one had a bunch, and then one had just a little bit of minimal. But at the end of the day, the average, the mean, is still two millimeters. So when you look at it, it looks like the laser and the non-laser group, if you just looked at the average, had the exact same clinical outcome, but that actually wasn't true. Mm. So what we needed to apply was standard deviation. And, and when I'm talking about making a change to my clinical practice, I need to know that the changes I'm making are based on found, sound research results. So that with the standard deviation, it would have showed us how deviant the scores really were in that laser group. And that may change whether or not I choose to incorporate a laser into my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. That, you know, one person got great results, but two people kind of really didn't get anything better than the group without the laser. Hmm. Does that help clarify that and make sense? Yes, absolutely. So it's, you know, we're looking at the significance of the results here. Which one do we want to apply to our practice? Which one would we want you know, performed on us based on this research. Absolutely. And I, oh, by the way, students, I'm not saying uh, that that's the result with laser. <laughs> it's just an example yes. because it's actually not what decades of literature show us. But I figured that was a good interjection for an example that everybody who's going to be a clinically practicing hygienist would appreciate. Definitely. Yeah. So don't take that as any, any sort of report on research based on lasers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes. you, Amanda. <laughs> Definitely. But it's a great example for us, you know, to apply when we're looking at newer methods, newer research to determine whether it's something we want to implement in our practice or not. Thank you so much, Lisa. Okay. So moving forward, now that we understand how to standardize our scores, 
Can you tell us a little bit about uh, normal distributions? What does that mean? So sure. So when we conduct research and we gather data, we can actually plot it on a graph. Mm. And if most of the data that you gather is pretty symmetrical about your mean, meaning you have equal numbers above and below that average, that mean, then typically you're going to see what we call a normal curve. Mm-hmm. And we know this, and students are usually pretty familiar with this next term. We call that curve a bell curve. And that's because when those numbers equal above, equal below the mean, you're going to get something that looks like a bell, where you're kind of high in the middle, and it trails off to the tails. Mm. So a bell curve is actually, it's got a second name. It's actually also referred to in some circles, statistical circles, as a Gaussian curve. Because initially, it wasn't called a bell curve. It was called a Gaussian curve, named after the mathematician Gauss, who uh, developed the formulas for bell curves. Mm. And his name was spelled G-A-U-S-S. So they call it a Gaussian curve. Well, I want to throw in a little board alert here because we know the national board is big on asking us, what is another term for this? Or for substituting terms when there are two that mean the same thing. So bell curve is also called a Gaussian curve. And the way that I like to remember that, B for bell, G for Gaussian, it makes me think of the Bee Gees, the band. And our audience may not be as familiar with the Bee Gees as you and I are, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you to think back to when you were learning CPR and they use that song, Staying Alive. And that's your that's your tempo. That's your, you know, that's the beats that you're giving CPR compressions to. So Bee Gees, B G, Bell Gaussian. Okay? I like that memory trick. Yeah, students have a really easy time understanding bell curves because they live their lives in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because we as professors, Amanda, you and I, use bell curves in our testing situations. Mm-hmm. It tells me how um, how well my students performed on an examination. I can actually plot all their grades on a graph and figure out where my quote-unquote average was, who were my high-scoring students, and where were my low-scoring students. So for an example, if I gave an exam in my class of 25 people, and I took this test, and I actually on my own exam made a 68, Amanda, you're going to take my test, and you're going to make a 56, and then students listening, you guys are going to take this test, and you're going to knock it out of the park and make a 98. Yes. But what do all three of those scores really mean? Well, they don't mean anything unless I actually compare them to each other, other than the fact that the students did really well and Amanda and I did very poor. That's all we know by three numbers. So what I would actually do as a professor is I would plot all 25 grades on a graph, and it's going to result in a Gaussian curve. It's going to result in a bell curve. And when I gave this examination, my bell curve, my average, was a 74. So What I'm going to see when I plot my grades is that the majority of my students should be somewhere around that 74, and I should have less students who made 90s and less students who made 20s and 30s, and the majority of my students should be somewhere about that 74 mean, meaning the quote-unquote average distribution for my scores was somewhere between a 70 to 80, give or take. And in a bell curve... 
what I'm going to see is that about 68% of my class is going to fall right around that mean, somewhere in the 70 to 80 range. And that range right there is right about my mean. And we also say the 70 to 80, with the 74 being in the middle, is about one standard deviation away from the very center of my bell of a 74. Mm. So when most of my students are one standard deviation above 74 or below 74, about 68% of my class is going to fall in there. And that is classic of a bell curve. Mm. Now, students, you guys scored a 98 on my test. <laughs> so you are at the front end of the tail. You're, you're literally like three standard deviations away from the mean. You did so well on the exam. And Amanda, you did so bad that you're like <laughs> two standard deviations below my mean. So when you have a classic bell curve, there's a rule that exists for bell curves. It's called the empirical rule, which means right from the center of my bell curve, one standard deviation above 74 or below 74 is where 68% of my class is going to fall. Now, if you keep going to the left and the right, you're going to be two standard deviations away from the mean. And that's about where, give or take, about 95% of my class is going to fall. So I got that 68% that's in the middle. I pick up another about 30% of my class, and they'll be about two standard deviations away that 74. And then students, your 98 puts you about three standard deviations away, which means you did so much better you're the outlying score, if you will, than the rest of the class, which means you understood it better than 95% of the class did. Amazing. Well, I have to say thank you for that 56%. That's the lowest test score <laughs> I've ever received. <laughs> I didn't do it to you. Yes, Sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, I'd rather the students get a 98 than me. I'm not in a testing situation, so <laughs> let's go for it. But now you guys can, you can see the importance of understanding standard deviation and normal distribution to the actual data that you're reviewing in a research. Love it. Okay. Well, Lisa, this was super informative, and I think you did a really great job explaining this without any you know, pictures or uh, slides for us to look at. So why don't we go ahead and wrap this up with a couple of quiz questions that we might see on the national board. The first one we're going to go over, which of the following is another name for a standard bell curve? A, Gaussian distribution, B, Spearman rank order, C, Pearson product, or D, scattergram? We're going to give them a few seconds to think about this one. And Lisa, what is our best answer here? It's our mathematician, Mr. Gauss. It's Gaussian distribution, letter A. Awesome. So remember, bell, curve, Gaussian, B, G, staying alive. Got to stay alive during the national board exam. <laughs> uh, we don't want to give CPR <laughs> during your exam. Okay, <laughs> let's go over one more. In a bell curve, what percentage of data points will fall within one standard deviation of the mean? A, 33%, B, 68%, C, 95%, and that's it. Which one? A, 
B or C. So remember, it was the 68% are going to be one standard deviation above and below our 74 average test grade. Got it. So that's going to make up the majority then of our bell curve. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, Lisa, I can't say thank you enough. This research uh, series that we did, part one and part two, so helpful, so useful to apply to our practice and to the national board exam. Any last thoughts from you today? Hey, you guys, just wish you the best of luck. And don't forget all of this information once you graduate because you're going to spend the rest of your career being a lifelong learner and knowing how to pull credible research. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. We can't wait to see you again. And listeners, we'll see you next week for another episode of RDH Bites. Hey, everybody. This is your co-host, Amanda, with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information. See you next time.